Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today from Cairo, Egypt, is Professor Gerda El Khamer, who is a professor of clinical genetics, coordinator of the hereditary blood disorders and genodermatosis's clinics and research team, the Human Genetics and Genome Research Institute at the National Research Center, which is mainly involved in the study of medical genetics with a focus on inherited rare disorders, dysmorphology, community genetics, science management, and genetic education. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's really an honor to be part of your show. Prof. Alkamir, in a recent interview, part of the conversation concerned what it means to be human. And when I think about the field of work that you're involved with, it really is the essence of humanness. So can you please tell us what prompted or triggered your interest in genetics and made you pursue a career in this field? Okay, I'll take you a step back when I first expressed my interest to take genetics as my postgrad specialty. Every single colleague was surprised by that choice. Why should I specialize in a branch of medicine concerned with hopeless patients, with no available therapies, or at least not a chance for a complete cure? And my interest started actually through feeling that those vulnerable groups of people need people to care about them. And it's great now how currently, when you look at the field of human genetics, you can see an amazing progress in the management of those patients. Dreams are coming true. Some are already having treatment. Some can survive. Some are preventable. All of this does not exist when I started working in this field. That must be an incredible sense of accomplishment, being able to see such radical change of helping people to have better lives. Definitely, definitely. When I look back, at how it was and where we are now, I feel I'm proud of, not of my achievements, of the whole of the achievements exerted in the field of human genetics. We are in a completely different situation rather than, or other than maybe even 10 years ago, I wouldn't say in the long past, maybe even 10 years ago, it wasn't completely the same. Please, can you walk us through some of the landmarks in your career which have had a significant impact on you? Um, I cannot specify certain landmarks. It's a series of events where standing for my beliefs, even as a junior physician. I had a problem of I always want to express my mind. I wouldn't uh, just say, okay, and uh, okay, if you're my mentor, if you are my supervisor, director, Okay, I would. So um, this deprived me of several opportunities at the time, but later proved that not yielding to the cart first earns respect even those from those I stood against. And it also led to the progress through persistence and need to prove my point of view. Because, you know, when you said, no, I'm not doing this. No, you are. I am right. You have to stand for this point of view and work hard to prove yourself really right. It's a kind of mindset and how I always want things to be. (laughs) 
did you ever feel that, and this is, I, I ask this because I've experienced this quite a lot, especially with women in the medical side of things, that they they do have challenges from a gender point of view because they're a woman. And sometimes they've had patients who've refused to see them or they've had peers who put them down because of the, the gender dynamics of, of men and women. Uh, maybe we don't have this kind of uh, of problem in Egypt because in the genetics field at the Human Genetics Institute, we're mostly women. <laughs> so <laughs> men are intimidated by women where I work. <laughs> and the patients actually, um, the National Research Center is a hub for medical genetics in Egypt. So the patients are so happy to be able to attain the clinics, to be able to seen by us. Uh, so we were very lucky not to have this kind of problems uh, back at the, our, my, my institute. That's a really positive aspect that you experience. <laughs> I yes. also wanted to ask you, are there any particular disorder, particular genetic disorders that women may be at greater risk from? Uh, definitely, yes. Um, if you think of a man and woman, they are biologically different. They are virtually different almost in every organ and system in their body, not because of hormonal changes, even because of their genetic makeup. Only a number of gender-based differences have been already assigned to uh, their uh, genomic or uh, genotypic uh, background, other than the XX and XY, which, of course, we all of us know. Uh, for example, the Turner syndrome. Turner syndrome is specific to women because it's um, it's a kind of a syndrome that results from the absence or abnormal one X chromosome. So one normal X is not sufficient for a woman. Uh, similarly, the Rett syndrome, which is a neurodegenerative disorder. There are also the breast cancer. The incidence of breast cancer in men is about 1% of the whole breast cancer patients worldwide. The ovarian cancer, men do not have ovaries. <laughs> and other than that, a lot of other complex disorders uh, were um, such as autoimmune diseases and uh, uh, where the, the immune system of the females is supposed to be better than the male uh, because of the um, X chromosome where lots of genes relating to the immune system are present on the X chromosome. This is advantageous, of course, for women who have two X chromosomes because they can they have a better uh, fighting ability to infections, but the price is very expensive because they tend to have more autoimmune disorders than men. And even the reaction to vaccination uh, might be um, stronger than some men uh, when they are vaccinated to the side effects of vaccines. I, will, I don't want to, to end the show taking science because you're taking me to a, to a part which I like. <laughs> genetics is fascinating. And actually, genetics, when I started working, it was such a narrow field, only concerned with people who think they have uh, mental disabilities, who are having syndrome, which is a syndrome. Now, genetics is, is literally in every small detail in medicine. There is nothing in medicine without genetics. Oncology is all about genetics. New therapies, in particularly in oncology, is about genetics. Um, diabetes, hypertension, all other chronic disorders. 
have genetic background and they are looking for personalized medicine, relying on genetic makeup of every person to start to give him the appropriate medicine to uh, avoid the expenses of unnecessary uh, treatment. Again, if you take me to science, I will not stop talking. <laughs> Staying with that thread, though, because this field is developing all the time, you've got several research interests and there's been great outputs from your work. Can you tell us about a few of the successes in the research areas that you've been involved with? Well, my pride, actually is that I introduced two very important subspecialties in the Human Genetics and Genome Research Institute. The first started through working in my PhD long ago, <laughs> which was concerned with hemoglobinopathies or thalassemia, particularly, which is a major health problem in Egypt, and later evolved into the genetics of all hereditary blood disorders. And the second is the genodermatosis. The genodermatosis is a very vague field of genetics which is not dermatology, actually. It's the genetic disorders which could be diagnosed through dermatological clues. So they are genetic disorders which have some of their manifestations as dermatological manifestations. Uh, when I started uh, this first genodermatosis specialized, uh, specialized clinic, uh, there was no one working in this field at all. Everyone, uh, maybe one professor at the time was interested in Egypt, one only professor, because it doesn't pay no patients realized what the problem is. They're very difficult to diagnose. And um, it's very rare to have one of those patients diagnosed at the dermatology clinic. So when I started comparing the number of patients in both clinics, I was shocked. I thought that the majority would be hereditary blood disorders and the statistics proved them equal. So it, uh, it, it started in 2005 and 2005, sorry. <laughs> and it was the only specialized clinic in the Middle East and Africa, I would claim in the whole world, because there, some people are interested in one genodermatosis disorder. For example, I was invited in uh, Vienna in February, and sorry, in Salzburg, in Salzburg in, uh, in um, February, uh, to attend a meeting concerned with only one genodermatosis disorder which is epidermolysis bullosa. This is one of hundreds of genodermatosis. So having a specialized clinic for these patients doesn't exist. I would claim till now in maybe two or three clinics worldwide, having one in Africa, it's something to be proud of. Uh, both clinics evolved into multidisciplinary teams with clinical geneticists, medical molecular geneticists, medical cytogeneticists, biochemical geneticists, immunogeneticists, cellular biology and stem cell researchers, and prenatal diagnosis. And through working in with this multidisciplinary team, we could offer them genetic counseling, career detection, prenatal diagnosis, preventing um, the recurrence of these devastating disorders. And a very dear project to my heart is the genetics um, educational courses which I partnered um, in the establishment at the National Research Center where I work. And they turned from something which people were uh, making fun of because actually we're not an educational body to a model everyone wants to push their nose in our educational team now. <laughs> Listening to what you're saying and looking at the way that the world is evolving, everything is about personalization. So when we took it, talk about this on a fundamental human level, this is personalization of 
medical treatment and making the right types of, of choices that, that fit your genotype. If we turn towards financial services, it is all about generating your data and uh, consumption and affordability. And if we look at the consumer market, it's all about the choices that you make so people can effectively try and promote more products to you based on your choices. So personalization is a, a worldwide phenomenon across disciplines. Yes, you wear a lot of hats. When I was looking at your biography, and I'm going to mention a few of them, you're a member of the Executive Committee of the National Strategic Programs for Biotechnology and Genetic Engineering, the African Society of Human Genetics, the Arab Association for Genetic Research Board, the Egyptian Committee for Pathology Training, Genetics, ethical coordinator between the HGGRI and NRCIRB and head of scientific and cultural relations committee of the HGGRI. You represent Egypt at the Global Globin Network, the Human Variome Project, to mention a few. I wanted to ask you more about these concepts of fraternity and academic citizenship because these roles seem to be largely about giving back and growing the respective academic disciplines and communities. Definitely. I would think of those hats you mentioned as a harvest, as well as a mean for this fraternity and academic citizenship. Actually sharing knowledge and science bring people from different backgrounds together. It helps bridges all kinds of gaps at a scientific conference or a laboratory or a lecture room. I forget completely about all kinds of differences. You know, everyone is only interested um, about how to deliver or acquire information, network with colleagues and making friends worldwide. One thing that's fascinating about scientific communities is that, you know, sometimes it's so surprising. I feel I have a family everywhere and it helps, you know, wherever I go, it's... Uh, for example, before the African Society of Human Genetics, uh, my joining it, I mean, or my being so involved in with them, I've never thought about visiting countries in Africa. Now, if you'd ask me where you want to go, I want to go to Africa. I want to go back to Africa. I feel at home. When I go to Senegal, I have friends. When I go to South Africa, you know, I don't feel like, oh my God, I might have a problem. What am I going to do? No, I feel I have a kind of Friends who are almost, they would never, ever stop from helping me in whatsoever situation that might happen. This is so nice in the scientific community. I've never thought about it as a competitive war uh, uh, field where I have to battle. And I am very competitive and I love my work. And it's, uh, I don't know how to say it. It's a family field and it's... Um, it's all about patience. When you think about it, that I want to serve my ultimate pur purpose and help those patients who I joined this field, hoping I would be able to help them. Uh, if you stop personalizing your own advantages versus the advantage of the ultimate goal of serving the patients. I hope you got my point. <laughs> this doesn't uh, yes. mean I'm not competitive, but... It's, it's a competition in a different context. 
Sure. I, I see it as almost this higher objective that the patient is the core focus and whatever tools or information you acquire from colleagues, yeah. it's about delivering on the patient's needs. Definitely. One of the things that women tend to not be so good at is developing professional networks. So do you have any tips on how to develop professional networks more effectively for women? Uh, developing networks. I would think first of education because uh, they have to be perfectly well educated. And I, when I speak about education, I do not mean education like curricula, math, and, and I'm not underestimating this. This is very important. I mean cultural curricula because in most developing, I wouldn't say developing countries because it's worldwide. In lots of places, girls become exposed to the possibility of child marriage, teenage pregnancy, uh, domestic uh, work for children, uh, poor education or poor health care, sexual abuse, exploitation and violence. This exists everywhere. I wouldn't say that it's, it's particularly in Africa or developing countries. Maybe it's much more in the developed world. Uh, but many of these manifestations will not change unless the girls are valued more. They have to be valued and their education is very important um, and their cultural education is very important. They have to feel their importance. They have to be raised to stand for their, for their dreams. They have to set their plans and work on their implementation. Work at, during this trip, they would be able to have their networking because the network start by a very small place. Uh, for example, when we go to school, uh, some very small network will have the same interest and then this network will grow at the college and then we will we'll start working and then it's growing bit by bit. Uh, so I would advise them not to rush, not to um, jump into networking with the wrong persons because taking their time taking it very slow, uh, working on themselves, setting their goals. This would help them networking with the right persons and attain what they want to have. And then you get the mutual benefit because it is a, it's a social investment as well as a, yes. as a professional investment. Yes, definitely it is. Like I said, you wear a lot of caps. Do you feel that being a woman, you perhaps tend to take on more responsibilities than a male colleague per se might take on? Uh, again, being from an African background and an Egyptian background, it's not that males are pushing you. I don't know where it comes. Maybe it's cultural. That's why when I said you have to work on their cultural education, um, Females tend to feel responsible for their houses, for their children, for their uh, this part of their lives, in addition to competing in their work field. So this might be the addition, the, the additive burden they are they are carrying on their on their shoulders. <laughs> when you talk, for instance, about the added burden, I mean that this is one of the issues that women all over the world seem to have to take to deal with is how do you balance yeah. your family and your career please share some of your views how have you managed to achieve these goals i was never in a rush 
I took my time in everything. When I had a child, I give him the type it needs. I never left my child alone at home. Maybe I study while I was at home. I took that, that uh, child leave to study a lot. And then I am next to my baby uh, till uh, he or she could go to, uh, not even to a nursery. I never took them to a nursery until they were um, old enough to express themselves, to come home and tell me, uh, Mama, this happened at school today. So I would feel they are safe. And during this time, I wasn't away from science because I was always studying. I made my master's, I made my PhD, I made my uh, the theses at that time. I made some of my promotional because I had I gave birth to my son very old. <laughs> so, and um, after that, when I went to work, I take my work very seriously. I built my team. I took my time building my team. I never look back. Um, one of the maybe it, it's one of my important points in my career. I had a disagreement with man was one of my uh, PhD supervisors, and I quit my career completely with no looking back. And I never regret shifting this, this taking this career shift. And I started working as if nothing happened. And this is very important. Never look back. Never regret what you could not do, and work on what you have. And never rush. Uh, whatever is meant to be will be will be meant to be. Just work and work and work. And dreams happen that way. They are achieved that way. It sounds as though you had a very consistent approach to everything that you took on board and also a focused approach. You have to be that way. Otherwise, you will not be able to do anything with all of these, uh, you know, loads. <laughs> you have to carry because I cannot neglect my children. I love my work. I would never want to neglect my work. I am one person who doesn't want to feel I am at the end of the list. Uh, if I decide on having a career, I have to fulfill this career up to the standards I'm dreaming of. Not I want, I am dreaming of. Of course, I had lots of dreams which I couldn't achieve, but I am satisfied, <laughs> which is very good. Yes, it's so important that it's, it's meaningful, that it, life has been purposeful. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, and today we're talking to Professor Gerda El-Kamer, who is a professor of clinical genetics, coordinator of the hereditary blood disorders and genodermatosis clinics and research team in the Human Genetics and Genome Research Institute at the National Research Center in Cairo, Egypt. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Prof. One of the areas which has been cited as being fundamental for our developing world, and I use that in a very broad sense of the word, is subjects like maths, engineering, science, and technology. But there's so many reports that show that women are underrepresented in these fields. And if we don't increase that representation, then the gap is going to become wider and wider. And quite frankly, women are going to miss out on opportunities. Do you think that the environment in Egypt is supportive enough towards women pursuing a career in science? Uh, <clears throat> uh, I would say that currently. 
I can see a lot of support to women in general in Egypt, not in science particularly. Uh, a lot of uh, legislations have been changing and social norms. So uh, I strongly believe that the most help women can give themselves to achieve what they want is to really feel and believe in equality deep inside. They have to feel they they can do it. And even though it's extremely essential, sometimes raising the issue of gender and uh, and inequality makes me feel like I'm proving a point that I need to be unequal rather than I am equal. I would sometimes think that man wants to be equal to this strong woman who is carrying all of this load and they are actually tete-a-tete with them in every field of work, even those scientific fields you spoke about. Um, back to women in Egypt, uh, there are two uh, very different sides to women in Egypt. The dark one, like in every other part of the world, which is the low-income sector, which they have to fight a lot to be a human being rather than being a scientist. Um, and the other clear or bright side where women are not are, are fortunate and they, um, they have a strong participation in everything. For example, since the 2011 revolution against the Mubarak's regime, women took a very leading role in every aspect of this revolution. They stand in the front lines everywhere. And since then, they wouldn't leave this place for anything. They are standing their points. They are proving themselves. And particularly the young generations, I'm very proud to look at them. They are really, really different. They There is no way to take them back, to bend their will, and concerning science, we have countless of leaders, leading females in science in Egypt, uh, old ones and novel ones, actually. Uh, and of course, the newer generation, again, are more fortunate. Uh, they are more open. They have more open access to the world in every aspect. And they have the strength and the will. And uh, I would go back to the 2011, which gave them quite a push. It makes them feel, yes. We can do it. We did it and we can take it from there and we're not going back to, to the back line again. Do you think that with the 2011 revolution, a fundamental point shift in society and culture, that that sets a really visible example of what women can achieve and it provides a, a role modeling effect for women that are coming afterwards? Yes, yes, yes. Definitely, yes. It's it, you know. It's it's not. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's not because at very long um, time ago, at the at the time of the nineteen nineteen revolution, women took a lead in this revolution too, and it was the time that the women took their uh, niqab off and throw it in the street because in, in Egypt at that time, in the very old time, they used to cover their faces. And they took it out and threw it in the street. And they were fighting against the colonization, the British colonization at the time. It was the Saad Zaghloul revolution. And then I don't know how it happens that women, they were not suppressed much, but they have a different role in society. In 2011, they took um, a very leading role in everywhere. And they felt they are strong enough to do all of this. So this feeling of empowerment and strength made a difference to the mindset of females in Egypt 
in 2011. I'm 100% sure of that. And potentially it influenced the way that men perceive women too. Uh, they were forced to take it from there. <laughs> they had to accept the situation. Long may it continue. <laughs> Turning towards more of a, of a personal aspect, everyone has a different journey that they take in life. And one question that I ask all my guests is about some of the factors that have contributed to your success, whether that be faith, discipline, values, a particular person. So please, can you tell us what some of these elements have been? Again, I'm a person who never think of, it's this point has made the change of my life. It's it's a life experience. So I wouldn't think of a specific moment, but I can think of several changes that made me feel stronger. As a child, I changed school three times. This is very tough. <laughs> changing environment, changing friends, changing everywhere. It helps me change from chai to having to, to talk to people, to communicate, to network, to, to survive. <laughs> I lost my father very early in my life. And I was raised in my grandparents with my mother. She was so young. I was in my grandparents' house in a small town and when I grew up at the age of 16 if you call it growing up I had to shift to the tough Cairo <laughs> and when I say tough Cairo if you visited Cairo you know how tough Cairo is <laughs> and uh, that's what the third uh, change of school then and I have to fight for a place to work as a geneticist it's not easy it's an easy task to find a good genetics post and then standing up to humans and bureaucratic obstacles to become a clinical geneticist. So I have to fight for creating a place for myself and then my prove, to prove myself worthy of this place I fought for. Uh, and then I told you about disagreeing with one, with one of my PhD supervisors and deciding on quitting the genetic subspecialty I was hoping I would take as a career. In spite of several temptations at the time, were offered uh, a, a big international grant, which is at the young age is a life dream. But I never looked back. I decided on starting something new. I was 40 then, which is an old age to start something new. <laughs> but uh, that was when I initiated the Genodermatosis Project, which grew and evolved into this clinic and research team, which I'm very proud of today. Again, starting on the scientific uh, meetings and the genetic courses in a non-educational body, uh, the NRC, where I work, is a research institute. It's not the NRC is a national research center, so it's a research institute. It's not a, a university uh, where education is part of uh, our job. It was a very big challenge and a joke. Everyone was saying, "But Reda, uh, what are you thinking of? What genetics courses?" Uh, who would come to the NRC to learn? And it ended as it turned into a model where everyone is trying to follow and everyone is saying, ah, I'm having a course in this, I'm having a course in that. The Ministry of Health invited us to give courses to their um, physicians and general practitioners. I think mm -hmm. this I would take as a kind uh, or a sign of success. So uh, I would feel at these at points which give me strength in my life, but 
if you would call them points. Speaking of persons, my mother, of course, she was a very strong woman. May she her beautiful soul rest in peace. She had to quit her education uh, to get married, and then she pursued her education years after we grew up. We went to college together. She went to literature school, and I went to med school. And she stood alone against all possible ex obstacles to raise me and my sister into two very good, I hope, strong females who believe that we can also attain anything we hope, we hope for. She gave us a very good model of, I want this, I'm doing this. And of course, my late mentor, Professor Timtani, uh, she was, as McCusick, the founder of human genetics science in the world, spoke of her, one of um, two best geneticists worldwide. Uh, I was so lucky to be mentored and be next to her for almost 35 years of my life as a geneticist working beside Tintami. This is yani, a gift from God I am very thankful for. And my two aunts, one of my two aunts, they are both, uh, they passed away. They were university professors, one in medicine and one in agriculture at the time, where most females from their generation were only thought about, uh, they only think about having a family and being a housewife at that time. So they have, I have lots of role female mm-hmm. models in my life that tells you, you have to be uh, another model, <laughs> if I may say that, or for your students and your uh, your daughters, uh, try to tell them, yes, it's achievable. What you would want to achieve is achievable. Thank you for sharing aspects of your journey, the, the stepping stones and the collective experiences that have got you to those points, and also for, for sharing the, the pioneering woman in your life, particularly from the home environment, but also in terms of, of mentorship when you were in the academic space. Now, lastly, as we close out our conversation today, Please, can you use this platform to share a few words of inspiration or motivation for girls and women who are listening to us? I would first tell them, do not believe in gender differences. Develop your own style. Do not aim at repeating any male leadership pattern. They have to find their own way to inspire and motivate others. They do not seek to compete or compare yourself to anyone. They should instead fight to eliminate any barriers and obstacles to your goals. Do not waste time on looking around. Ah, this one is successful. No, I have a goal. I have to remove barriers to achieve the goal. this goal. Uh, they should learn how to communicate, negotiate, and persuade people. They should be capable of transmitting their message and make themselves understood, influencing others around themselves. They should be thinking of themselves as a reference. She should, I want to be a reference. I don't want to copy this model. Uh, They should think out of the box. They should be innovative. Uh, They should never be afraid of what they think they want to do. They should be leaving the traditional role that society has assigned to them and explore new paths. They shouldn't be scared of changes because it's good to change. And they never be afraid of of uh, failing in something because you learn from failures. I always tell my team when we write a grant, I forgot about this grant. 
I wrote a grant and I forget completely about it. If we lose it, never mind. This means we had a, we did something wrong. Let's work on it. We have a base to complete. If it's accepted well and good, um, they should follow their hearts. They should be wealthy and productive as our continent. Africa is such a wealthy continent by its resources and the young people. And half of those young people are female, so they constitute half of this continent. They have to be proud of this. It's theirs. It's not something that they think of as uh, it's a right. What I mean is that it is their right. It's not something that should be given to them as a gift. No. And they have the right to attain their dreams and they should have a pivotal role in society. I've been traveling across the continent when I was following the African genetics conferences, gave me the chance to witness the wealth of female talents. It's really surprising how many talented females exist in this continent. And they are very promising, strong young females who I can see as taking the duties and of helping developing Africa and taking the science among other fields towards whatever they want them to be. I'm sure they will be able to bring all our hopes to realities. Of course, this will not happen overnight, <laughs> but for sure, but with the changes that are, um, you know, taking place bit by bit, I'm sure it will definitely happen in the very near future. Thank you for a wonderfully inspiring message that <laughs> speaks to so many different facets and really embraces the power of, of what it is to be a woman in the continent and making your place in the world. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and we have been talking to Professor Gerda Alkamer, who is a professor of clinical genetics, coordinator of the hereditary blood disorders and genodermatosis clinics and research team, the Human Genetics and Genome Research Institute at the National Research Center in Cairo, Egypt.